Hey, good morning, it's Pastor Rob. Before we get started, I'm hoping you can help me with something. Can you tell me who the guy is in the middle of this picture? Especially if you're as old as me, I'm sure you've got at least the two on the outside figured out, right? You've got Han Solo and Princess Leia. You may even know their real names, right? They're like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. But, but, but the guy in the middle, who's the guy in the middle? If you're at a loss, um, that would put you right with everybody else, or <laughs> almost everybody else. I'm sure he knows who he is. I'm sure the writers of the movie know who he is, although at this point, it's been decades, they may not even remember. But, but who is this guy? Well, he's playing the role of something called a movie extra. And an extra, extra's job is to just be there to add to the scene. You know, he usually gets base pay for the role that he's playing and may have a, a random line or two or none at all. Um, and in the credits, he might be listed as guy one <laughs> right? or girl three or whatever, but they don't have a name attached to him. They don't get credit. They rarely impact the storyline directly, but the story wouldn't be quite the same without them. In that guy's case, for example, the two of them, Han and Lee, are having this really intense conversation. They're flirting back and forth with kindling a relationship and what that's going to look like. And this kind of just guy just kind of busts through and, and it's like, um, you know, we're under attack right now, right? <laughs> Let us not forget in the midst of what you're doing, somebody's trying to kill us. The Empire's trying to kill us. We might want to get focused, right? He breaks the tension of the scene and changes it, adds an awkwardness that simply wouldn't be there without him. The truth is extras are necessary for any movie or television scene to kind of work the way it's intended to set the tone or set the scene, right? Um, you can't have a crowd scene, right? If you don't have a ton of extras, a ton of people to be in this crowd. You can't have a doctor healing patients in a TV show unless he's got a patient to heal, right? And, and in real life, the truth is we also have some extras that kind of move through our lives. You know, these folks that we see at events and in our day-to-day -day lives that we never really get to know. But without them, life wouldn't be the same. If you're at a, a basketball game, right, and, and you're trying to cheer on your team, there's something different about having tons of people cheering with you, right? It wouldn't feel the same. It wouldn't be the same without those people. If you your power goes out, right? There's people you call. You call your power company. You say, fix my power lines. And then there's these folks that come out in the dead of winter <laughs> or in the rain or in whatever, and they fix. They fix your power lines. Now, you never really get to know them, but they're moving through your life. They go unnamed, but they have value. And I think that's the difference between a movie and real life. In the movies, the extra doesn't have a storyline. There's nothing particularly special about them. They're just there to set a scene. But in real life, in real life, we all have a story. And in God's eyes, the truth is, there are no extras. The book of Luke, which is what we are working through now, we are in week four, 
in week one, we kind of gave it an overview of of Luke and who he is and what he's about and some of his basic themes that God has him trying to communicate in this gospel, some of the themes that are seen in the other gospels, but a few that are unique to Luke. In week two, we talked about the incarnation, the coming of Jesus to the earth and the the humility that it demonstrated as well as um, what it calls us to, to trust and obey and celebrate the work of God in our lives. And, and last week, we talked about the importance and the relationship between prayer and perseverance, how those things are so critical to our walk with God and our capacity to succeed or function well in our lives. Today, we're going to read a little bit about some extras who are not really extras. The Gospels are filled with people who briefly appear. They come and they go, and yet how many of us know their name or know their story or know the role or the purpose they serve in the kingdom? Because there are no, again, no extras. God desires to have a relationship with everyone. He has created everyone who's on this earth, and to him, they are all valuable. They all contain within them something called the Imago Dei, the very image of God, as Paul refers to. They mean something to him. And so when they show up in one of Jesus' parables or stories, they're not extras just moving by in the scene. They matter. And it is to characters such as this, and specifically female characters, that we consider today in our series on the Gospel of Luke. To do that, we're going to look at a very small section out of Luke chapter 8. It's Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And it sometimes just gets passed over or glossed over as transitionary material. But the the truth is, it tells us something about how Jesus feels about, frankly, women. It says this in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, Afterward, he, that would be Jesus, was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stuart, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Who are these women? Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. He takes the time to name them. And what does their presence in this scene tell us? The one we learn the least about is Susanna, right? We don't know much about her other than she is someone who is called to walk with Jesus. Her Greek name means a lily, a flower. Although I don't know if that tells us much about her. It might just be anecdotal. But it's significant, though, is that she's one of the three names actually given by Luke here, right? She's selected from among the many others or the many women involved. And the truth is, even in this section, the 12 don't get their names individually listed, right? He says, Jesus was traveling with those guys, the 12. And oh, by the way, these three women too. And so it's important that that Luke wants us to know that these these folks are here, that these women are here, and specifically these three that play some kind of role. This is, this is important because women usually were not identified. They were not pulled out as special, frankly. 
And that's a sad state of affairs in Jewish society and Greco-Roman society as alike. And sometimes in our society, women can find themselves feeling like they are second-class citizens or they are not worthy enough or they are not valuable. Sex trafficking trades are almost all women. So we ha- it's like we haven't learned. And yet Luke stops here and says, no, 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 no. There's something valuable about these women and and names them. Drawing them out and naming them says something spectacular about what Luke and what Jesus thinks of them. Women at the time generally didn't own a lot of property, although it, it, it could be that these women were women of wealth. We know that Joanna is. We'll talk about her in a second. But they are giving, right? They are giving out of what little most of them have. And I think that's what Susanna represents here is one of those women who has very little in their lives. It, it reminds me of another story that Luke tells in Luke chapter 21. Mark also tells it in Mark chapter 12. But it's, it's, it's might be headlined in your Bible, The Widow's Gift. But I'll read it real quick. It's Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And it says, He looked up, and he's, that's Jesus, and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. And by the way, that's our memory verse for this week. It's uh, Luke 21, verse 3. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. I think Susanna is just such a woman elevated by Jesus at a time when others would not dare to do so. And this is a theme of Luke. Um, Theologian William Barclay says this, it is in Luke that we read of Elizabeth, of Anna the prophetess, of the widow Nain. It It is Luke who makes vivid pictures of Martha and Mary and of the women we see here. And this is consistent with one of Luke's themes or goals to call into view the social implications of the gospel. The gospel elevates those who society would push down. In this case, very much at center stage are women. We then read of Joanna. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. That would mean her husband was in charge of King Herod's household. You know, King Herod who beheaded John the Baptist? Um, certainly not pro-Jesus, cognizant of Jesus, but I wouldn't call him pro-Jesus. And a man who's known to have um, told his brother, "Um, I'm taking your wife from you because I want her. (laughs) The guy had issues. But Joanna is likely well-connected to the ruling class. And that's, that's important here because that's in contrast to a woman that we meet just a few verses before our section today in Luke chapter 7. In chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, we meet a woman who is referred to two times as a sinner. She is a sinner. And and the, the Pharisees and those watching are going, why is he eating with this sinner? Or why is he ha- even hanging out with the sinner or letting her touch him? And this, this sinner is, is a woman who breaks open a jar of alabaster perfume and she washes his feet with her tears and the perfume, the tears, wipes it with her hair and uses the perfume to anoint him. 
Again, between them, these two stories, between this contrast that occurs between Joanna, this woman of, of wealth and status in the kingdom, and this poor sinner of a woman, who is, by the way, not a sinner per se. That's what others were calling her, not Jesus. This creates, this, this is another one of Luke's themes that he's working on, the connection between Jesus and Adam, that, that Jesus is here for all humanity, not just for a certain group of people or a super special group of people, just those who choose to follow him. The third one we meet is Mary Magdalene. And if we were going to pick one of the three that maybe you knew before we started this discussion, it would be her. Mary appears in all four Gospels. She's a prominent figure. Magdalene is actually a reference to where she came from. Um, she's Mary from, Gal Mary from Magdala in Galilee. That's who she is. Um, that's her name. The city of Magdala would be just where she's from. It's a reference point. Because if you've read the story a few times, there are a few Marys floating around. This, <laughs> this one just keeps it very clear. That's all it is. There have been tons of rumors since the time of Christ about who this Mary Magdalene is, or this Mary of Magdala, who she is. Um, some have, that there were rumors floating around for many years, since they still persist, that she was a, a prostitute, that, that Jesus had helped reform um, by casting out the demons, right? She is, uh, maybe, there's one of the rumors is that she's actually the woman in Luke chapter 7 that washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair and this jar of perfume. If you've read the Da Vinci Code or seen the movies, it's it, they even imply the story that she is Jesus' wife or companion, and there are even rumors that she led her own sect of Christianity. That, that lifted up and really empowered women in those leadership roles. But there is no such indication in Scripture of any of these things. We know that Luke, and only Luke actually, mentions that seven demons had come out of her, presumably, presumably cast out by Jesus, maybe one of the disciples. But that experience kind of highlights what binds them together, all of the women in this passage together, whether it be the three we know the names of or those who are listed as some of the many women who followed Jesus and supported him, they had been healed. They had received the grace of God and they were responding to it. They would go on, these women would go on to demonstrate the response, frankly, that all of us who have received God's grace should have repeatedly throughout Luke's gospel and all the other gospels for, for that matter to an extent and, and even on into Paul's letters particularly the letter to the Romans we see women demonstrating what it means to be a follower of Jesus and that's that's a radical idea for that time that he would lift them up and say this is the example that you need to follow these are the people that are demonstrating to you what it means to follow me. And he did it in remarkable ways. It was women that we see stood with Jesus at the cross, even after many of the men, many of the 12 had kind of wandered away during this difficult time. They couldn't stand to watch Jesus be crucified. And it's the women who stayed, right? It's the women who followed his body to the tomb and, and observed it and made sure 
how it was placed and knew it was there. It was women who went back resurrection morning to prepare to prepare the body for his final rites. And it's women who were the first to know he had risen. And that's that's important for us to understand. He chose them. He knew who was going to come to that tomb. He chose them to be the first to know that he was risen. And it's women who were the first to announce it to the world. The first. If that's not placing women first in some priority, and at the very least elevating them to a status that their witness is equal to men, I don't know what would be. Theologian Daniel Bach says, identify something. We have a lot of trouble wrapping our heads around this in our current society, right? But it, it, here's what he says. It's hard for us to appreciate just how revolutionary Luke's picture of Jesus's ministry is. In the Jewish practice of the day, and might I add the Greco-Roman practice of the day too, there were even prayers of thanksgiving that God had not made you a woman. And in Jewish practice it would be, I'm glad I'm not a Gentile, I'm glad I'm not a beast, and I'm glad I'm not a woman. And here Jesus is lifting them up and saying, oh no, you've got this all wrong. The Gospels, Luke's Gospel in particular, show us over and over and over again how important and valuable women are to him. He was willing to lift people up out of the society when others would not. Everything Jesus said and did with respect to women was radically countercultural within the Jewish and Greco-Roman societies. Jesus raised the bar on laws concerning marriage and divorce and lust in order to protect women. Jesus cited historical and contemporary examples of women, both powerful and obscure, as, as models of faith and virtue. And Jesus included women in his ministry team and welcomed them as disciples. And probably, I think, most profoundly is Jesus allowed women to minister to him actions utterly unheard of for a Jewish rabbi then and today. It's remarkable to me that with this narrative has developed over the centuries that, that Christianity somehow oppresses women when the fact is that our Lord and our Savior lifted them up beyond any man-made society to that point. And it is his people who are to continue to lift them up, to pull them out of obscurity, to remind them that they are beautifully, wonderfully made and truly loved. It seems that men don't always have a lot of difficulty believing that about themselves, but women sometimes do. And that is, I would imagine it breaks Jesus's heart. We have a responsibility to remind women, if there's a woman in your life that you have not treated well, you better apologize and change right now. <laughs> right now. God sees them as beautifully and wonderfully made. As beautifully and wonderfully made as any of the rest of us men. We have a responsibility to elevate them, to lift them up, to remember who our Savior is and what he has taught us about their value to him and to the kingdom of God. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.